You're listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. Stick to the point. I think I'm feeling a bit rusty here. I haven't really been doing this for a little while, but uh, but I'm sure that somehow, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we're going to get there. So that'll be good. All right. We live in very interesting times. It's times when things are changing, and it's often difficult to keep up with what's happening in the world. You know, according to Medical Republic Australia, a doctor practicing in 1950 would have actually seen medical knowledge doubling about every 50 years. In 2010, which is only 60 years later, you know, the rate has actually come down to doubling every three and a half years. And now that we've got to 2020, and we remember we're three years past that now, we, now that we're at 2020, the rate of medical knowledge doubles every 73 days. So can you imagine? Everything that we know, medically speaking, doubles every two and a half months. That's a lot of information. That's a lot of change. Uh, although there are different types of knowledge, and we have, you know, there's different growth rates with that as well. According to IBM, in 2020, knowledge is doubling every 12 hours. Now, that's the whole body of human knowledge. That astounds me. I don't know about you. To put that in context, in 1900, human knowledge would have doubled approximately every 100 years. By the end of 1945, it was doubling every 25 years. And now, with the speed of technology, knowledge is actually doubling twice every day. Twice every day. So no matter what field of endeavor that you look into, whether it be medicine or any other field, there's always a foundation upon which that knowledge is built. And although many people want to reinvent the wheel, the fact remains that it still is round. So there's some things you can't change. You know, some foundations just can't be changed without the whole building falling down. I mean, if you, for example, remove uh, a foundation of solid rock from underneath the building and then replace it with sand because sand is more flexible and we all have to be more flexible these days, so we're told. So we put in that sand, it's more flexible. Then the whole building that is built upon that foundation is going to collapse. And that's what Jesus said, you know, build on the solid rock. So even within the church, there have been so many new, or so-called at least, new ideas, new revelations, new ways of, of viewing and interpreting the scriptures. There's been new teachings and new doctrines, and those things have often been actually at odds with the scriptures themselves. There's new ways of viewing and wrestling with issues in society and the things that have happened in the social structures that are around us. But these new ways often see the church mirroring the uh, views and the morality in some shape or form of the world rather than conforming to the scriptures. You know, the church, particularly in the West, tends to actually mirror the world's standards. We need to hang on to the words that are found in the scripture and not the words of the leaders, the celebrities and the movers and shakers that are around us. And that can be a difficult thing. I just want to make a little side note here on culture. 
Because I don't, culture could be a, a whole subject all of its own. I don't want to go too far there. I just want to say that you know, culture is the sum ways of living uh, that's built up by a group of human beings and it's passed from one generation to another. And it's the things that we say, it's the things we do, the things that we, we tend to think, the way that we respond. But the important thing to note here is that we tend to do that without giving it a second thought. It just happens. And because of the, it, the fact that, it, that it, it, it's, uh, we don't give it that second thought, it becomes that default way of, that everybody falls into, that everybody finds acceptable. We find at the moment that our culture is under an assault and it is being radically reformed right at this time. So if we're going to hang on to any culture, it better be the culture of the kingdom. We, which is above and over every other culture in both the seen and the unseen realms. So it, that could be, a, a, like I said, a whole subject in and of itself. But I just want to leave that and just that whole idea of remembering that it, it impacts us so deeply. Right, I'm going back to it again. It, it could be a subject on its own. I'll go back to it again. It, culture impacts us so deeply that we often are not aware of how much we are affected because it is those, those, those things that happen without us giving a second thought to it. And yet while the context of the culture we find ourselves in is constantly changing, the gospel message and the kingdom of God, the truth of the Bible, remains the same. Amen. Jesus is the solid rock on which we stand. He is the chief cornerstone around which he is building his church. The early church in the time of the Roman Empire also had a struggle with many new ideas. False and self-proclaimed apostles, prophets, shepherds, preachers and teachers crept into the church in an attempt to alter the foundation upon which the church was built, to change the apostolic teaching of the church, which is the foundation of the apostles, uh, the teachings of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus as the Messiah, as attested to by the scriptures. And that's why uh, we find all the writers of the New Testament, that's a Peter, Paul, James, John, Jude, they all warn about false teachers and false teaching. Amen. Saints, in so many ways, we are living in very, very similar times today, and we need to be on our guard. If you'd like to turn with me, please, to Jude. Uh, I saw, I've got here Jude 1, verses 3 and 4. Jude is a terrific, tricky book. It's only got one chapter, so you can just go to Jude 3 and 4. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find I must write to you about something else, urging you to defend, and some versions here read, earnestly contend for the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvellous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The title of my message this morning is Contending for the Faith. And I want to look at what that means for us today. My first point is the church today is once again in serious trouble. The church today is once again in serious trouble. Bear with me, it gets better from here. 
But I, I need to read to you some statistics. I don't want to make much comment on them because they don't paint a very pretty picture. But I think it's important that we are aware of what's happening in a broadly based, uh, you know, broadly speaking. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't really want to make much comment on that. Okay. In 2022, a survey was conducted by Legionnaire Ministries and Way of Life Research, which looked into what American evangelical Christians believed about the nature of God. They found in that survey that many held heretical and non-biblical beliefs. 73% believed or agreed with the claim that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 55% believed that the Holy Spirit was, not a, was a force, not a personal being. 44% said Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. And 38% considered that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. A separate 2022 survey conducted by the Cultural Research Center in Arizona Christian University looked at what uh, the beliefs are of pastors. And among the evangelical pastors surveyed, 39% considered that there is no absolute moral truth and that each individual must determine their own truth. That's four in 10 pastors. 37% said that having faith in general is more important than the question of in what or in whom that faith is placed. 30% did not agree that their salvation was based only uh, on confessing their sins and accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. So they were thinking religion. They were thinking Jesus Christ plus something that I do equals my salvation. This is the picture of what the evangelical church believes and looks like in the West. It's not a pretty picture, is it? Admittedly, the surveys were conducted in the United States of America, of America but as they say, when America sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. And so it's, it, you, you were actually, we are finding now that those beliefs are purveying through the church and becoming, and, and what's more is they're taking a stronger foothold and they're, they're, they're gaining ground. I guess we shouldn't be surprised too much because 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 tell us, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Once again, we need to contend for the faith that was handed down to you and I, that you and I share. That faith was handed down and entrusted to us once for all time by God. The second point I wanted to make is the same things are happening now that happened then. The same things are happening now that happened then. As we read the book of Jude, false teachers and false teaching was in the church and it was turning people away from the faith. Jude was the brother of James and the half-brother of Jesus, so he was the natural son of, of Joseph and Mary. And he was writing to an unknown Christian audience and warning them against the infiltration of dishonest and crafty people who were intent on distorting and perverting the faith with false teaching. In verse 3, 
that we read before there of, uh, of Jude. It says that the, it tells us that the true Christian faith was delivered once for all time to the saints. And that's referring to the body of teaching concerning Jesus Christ as the Messiah and Lord as testified to in the Old Testament and the Gospel accounts. The faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people is the foundational truths of the gospel message that Paul gave, for example, to the Corinthian church. And you can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. We won't read that this morning for the sake of time. But in there, Paul laid out the gospel message in a, in a creedal-type form that, that captured the essence of what the gospel was all about, of what the true Christian faith was all about. When you read it, though, just notice what he says in verse 11. Because he says, So it makes no difference if I preach... Or if they preach, referring to the other apostles. Or he says, it doesn't matter if I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already received. And, and that is the foundation laid of Christ that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, it's a, that foundation is not a matter of people determining their own truth. It's a matter of what God has handed down to us as the truth. Yep. Because truth is absolute, whether people want to believe it or not. It either, by very definition of the word, and this is the, the crazy thing, truth either is or it isn't. If it's part, it's not truth. Okay, it's either got to be complete or it's not complete, but that has to come to us from an external source because we're so tainted by sin, we just are unable to tell which way is up. So God very kindly puts it all down for us in the word so that we can Work it out. We can see and work it through. You know, it's not necessarily all laid out for us you know, chronologically or sequentially. You know, we don't, we don't necessarily come along and find, open the Bible, and at the beginning was you know, God creating, and, and it, but it, and then at the end we find you know, the, the wrap-up of all history. But in between, it sort of goes up, and sometimes it goes back, and sometimes it goes forward, but it's all there for us to find. You know, it's a good thing I, I've said to people many times, you know, the fact of the matter is God is there. Something that, that is invisible is very different to something that doesn't exist. It, God can be found if we look for him with all our heart, as the scripture says. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8. Galatians 1 verse 8. I'm reading from the New King James Version here. Paul writing to the Galatian church says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you other than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Okay, so it doesn't matter if I preach, they preach, as long as we're all preaching the same word, and that is Christ. Paul, like Jude, was very concerned that the integrity and the foundational truth of the faith must be kept in, intact and not altered in any way. Jude also wants us to understand that the faith was entrusted or handed down to us by God once for all time to his holy people. Okay, so the foundational truth, body of truth and teaching that was handed down once was at the beginning of the church age. The truths of the faith are immutable. They're unchanging. It was a one-time delivery for all time. It was good. God gave it to us all in one block and said, guess what? It's going gonna, it's gonna to last for all of all time. There it is. The truths of our faith 
Our faith is built on Jesus as the Messiah and as the Lord, as the chief cornerstone and the foundation. He is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. Now, God knows what he's doing, and that's why he lays a foundation first and then he builds upon it. You know, foundations come at the beginning. They don't come in the middle and they don't come at the end. Okay, you can't build a great building and then slap a big concrete slab on the top of it and expect that it's still going to stand. You know, you have to build it in the right order. God knows what he's doing. We must stand on the foundation of the Word of God and only His Word. You know, it can't be church tradition. We can't stand on church tradition. It's not enough. It wavers, it meanders away from what the Word says. And you'll find that every single time. Have a look at any time when a church is actually holding to church tradition instead of the Scripture, and there is a difference. Amen. You know? There's a difference. I don't, I don't want to point out any particular you know, faith or denomination. I'm not trying to do that at, at all this morning. I'm really making very broad-based statements. Okay? I'm not pointing fingers anywhere, but these are very broadly-based statements that I'm making. But they're a generalisation which happens to be a truism for us at the moment. Okay. So we've got to stand on the foundation of the Word of God, not the traditions of the church, not the traditions of men, and not the traditions of the culture that's around us either. The only culture that we can trust to follow is the culture of the kingdom of God. And that is, really simply put, what's the kingdom of God? Somebody comes to you and says, Clint, what's the kingdom of God? Can you put it succinctly? Not right now. I'll give you the answer just in case I caught you on the hop and you weren't ready for that one. It's okay. I, I, I like to put you on the spot. That's all right. The kingdom of God. What is that? It is the sovereign rule and reign of Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives right now. That's Good. I'm glad you got that. Okay, is the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives right now, as outlined by the Holy Scriptures, witnessed and attested to by the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. You know, I like to add that extra bit because it's not just we, if it's going to be the rule and reign of Christ in our lives, and it is, we it's attested to by the scriptures, so there's a witness, and it's attested to by the Spirit because there's fruit in our lives. Yes. We're changing. You know, we're doing, we're experiencing what only the Holy Spirit can do, what He is famous for. He changes people from the inside out. He regenerates us. He regenerates our spirit, our mind, our heart, our soul, our whole being. But He does it this way, not like the world often tries to do it, and that is from the outside in. What you are famous for, Lord, do it again. Do it again. So the truth of our faith must be lived out. Okay, We have to live it out. It must be fruit. We need the Holy Spirit and we need the Word. And the church in large part often dismisses the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit of God, the paraclete, the helper, the comforter, 
the promise of the Father, sent by the Father. You know, Jesus is actually sent by the Father as well. And we don't tend to dismiss and marginalise him. Okay? We don't tend to do that, yet we often downplay or we misunderstand, ignore or diminish the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need, that, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our, in our walk of faith. We often fail to recognize him and fail to give him the honor that he is due as God. And that's why I was really blessed this morning. We're singing that song. It's such a, a creedal type song. Praise the Father, praise the, praise the Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. You know, we're, we're, we're so blessed that we have things like that to remind us. God is with us. He wants us to know who he is. He wants us to know him. You know, I think, just thinking off the top of my head, is one of my favourite scriptures at the moment. You know, John chapter 17 and verse 7, where Jesus says, this is eternal life. I love it. He puts, he puts what salvation and eternal life is in one sentence. To know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Full stop. That's it. It's not so complicated. We have to get to know him, but we have to get to know him on his terms through the word, not on ours. Okay, the Holy Spirit is the inspirer and the author of Scripture. The Father sent him and we, the church, we need him. When we ignore or dismiss the Holy Spirit, we eventually end up running into error. Jesus said of him that he would lead us and guide us into all truth. And, and we, we desperately need him. Outside of that, we often end up running into error or excess. Not that we desire to do that, but that, that's often what can happen. So now we find that the church in large part, because there's not an acknowledgement of the Spirit and what is happening and a departure from the Word, they're struggling to contend for the faith that God entrusted once to his holy people. In Jews' time, false teachers were vigorously attempting to change and destroy the church's faith in Christ. Verse 18 of, of uh, Jude reminds his audience that the apostles warned in the last times scoffers would come walking in their sensuality and bringing division amongst the saints. In our time, we're witnessing false teachers and false teaching actively undermining the scriptures and the faith of Christ. There have been massive attempts over recent years to water down the word of God, the biblical truths, and to destroy the Christian faith. And false teachers often, usually, just about every time actually, they will follow the pattern that was used by Satan himself in the garden. They begin by questioning God's word, subtly seeking to undermine the confidence that we have in what God has said. And from there, they directly move to contradicting God's word, arguing that God can't be trusted to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. And that's where it stands. God only tells the truth and nothing but the truth. Why? Because the scripture says he cannot lie. So if it's in the word, we have it and we have it set in stone. Jesus actually said in John 17, 17, I got it around the other way before. I think I said before it was John 17, 17. John 17, 3 says this is eternal life. John 17, 7 says that God's word is truth. 
God's word is truth. You know, someone actually, someone in my family, my father actually asked me one time, he, he, he kind of put me on the spot one time and said to me, well, even Pilate said, even, you know, Jesus said, to, you know, there's a conversation happening between Jesus and Pilate and the, the question comes, well, what is truth? Jesus answered that in John 17, 17. He said, your word is truth. God's word is Jesus speaking here. He says, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So no matter what at us as the church, we are going to see Christ who is for us. So who can be against us? You can't. My third, passively, it requires intentionality and it requires action. The original Greek phrase in Jude verse 3 means to contend earnestly for the faith. We're fighting for the faith. Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle is with evil rulers in the unseen realms. These evil rulers and authorities and authorities in the steal and destroy everything that God seeks to establish. God has and so they're out to destroy. And that's why we have to contend with an intensity and we have to contend with determination. And there are two aspects to combat. One with which we're very familiar, and that is defense, with self called to defend the faith, that gives attention to the tr- traditions of the church and in those situations. Every thought, every idea, every word needs to line up with the word of God. The other aspect, I am not talking about offense or attacking people. We can often be very good at doing that, but that's not what we're called to do. Okay, it's not offending or attacking. Learn as the church how to earnestly contend for the faith without being contentious. We don't, okay, we have to look argumentative. We don't want to be fact without breaking off into groups or, you know, this camp or that camp. We don't want to be disagreeable. We need to, writers of the New Testament tell the front to grapple with it, to oppose, to resist, to battle, to give our all, to go for broke, to contend, and to with a gentle and a humble spirit that was entrusted. Not being argumentative, but speaking the truth in love. That can be a challenge. We can, now, you don't need to be, and that's okay for some people, but I'm really not you know, quite at that level. That's not what you need to believe in to defend the faith. You know, the early church, they were actually turning the whole world upside down. Amen. That's what the scripture records. They were going everywhere preaching the Father, preaching the word of God. And, you know, there was a reset, heeding and, and a following through of what Jesus had said. Amen. So all we need to do, we need to be born again, read our Bible. That's it. That's not hard. Now, that just about qualifies just about everybody here. So when someone says that Jesus, chapter 1, verse 1, the creation of God, beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word, Jesus, was God. Okay, the thing was it. There's Jesus, God, in, through Him. Okay, so everything was created through who? The Word. Who was? God. It's not hard. He's not the... And we worship Him as such. There's a lot that, that I could say about... In the faith, but I, I do need to be trusted once for all down more than 2,000 years before you and I received it. And now we've become the established and the defenders in another generation. And, and so that it can be passed on and perpetuated until Jesus takes in a hand Amen. kingdom 
to God the Father. To me, that's where I think we're going to finish defending the faith because God's going to be all in all and then we're going to, everybody's going to live in life. It's all done. New heavens, new earth. Faith comes back to our hunger for more of God in our lives. You know, it's, it's like Russ shared with us only a couple of weeks ago. It's the same power raise Christ from the dead. It's right and it's great. But wow, can you get your head around that awesome creative power of God? How utterly limitless. You know, God, I'm still struggling on it, but if you get a clear view and vision of it and you can articulate it, please come. I'd like to know more. I've, I've earnestly prayed for many years to see the Holy Spirit manifesting his power through the church. Not an option. It is vital, I believe. You know, there are so many people that need to be reached. And there are so few in number. Because if Jesus is talked about that God is for us, who can be against us? We are on the winning side. We are on the ask the question. And I'm, I'm asking, I'm looking at this scripture in the context of contending the faith that was handed down to us once for all time. Jesus, who have faith. And the Son of Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Holy Spirit cleared true faith. Clearly, no deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. We are not, we are seeing that challenge you. Let's not be satisfied. Let's not be content with the status quo with what's happening in God. Because, you know, His promise to not be satisfied. If we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. That's a promise. On that, let's believe in and live out. I'll tell you one or two things from my army days, but I could think we'll go there. Let's just live out our life with faith. Let the Holy Spirit all time in and through us. And Would you like to stand with me, please? You've been listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. 